You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Ashley Hardgrave. All right, it's a special all-clips holiday episode for you, dear listener. Whether you're stuffing a turkey or waiting in baggage claim, find out which moments in opera make our team think of family, togetherness, and... All right, that's enough. We're men here. We don't talk about emotions. We've agreed not to argue. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Spotify, you're going to click follow Apple Podcasts. Hit that plus sign. Hey, you can send us a voice memo if you want, or even just email us your hot takes, mailbag at operaboxcourt.com, or even just record your thoughts using the You Got Something to Say page on our website, operaboxscore.com. Look, however you contribute, you're going to get an OBS beer coaster, an OBS lapel pin, and the all-new number one OBS fan foam finger just for sharing your own hot takes. Seriously, we're not going to argue this week. Oliver, (laughs) it is so great to see you. We're recording on Monday as we always do, but I'm already uh, two glasses in. Uh, tonight, just so I can be more relaxed around That's the holiday like, spirit. Yeah, yes. like <laughs> my family's coming over in a couple of days, and I've got to like figure out a way to just take the edge <laughs> off. You know? <laughs> How about you, Weston? How are you going to take the edge off? You know, it, it's Thanksgiving, and you know, I, uh, I've agreed not to annoy George too much, but I do have to say, Thank at you. a normal, calm tone of voice. Roll Tide. That was, because, that was so considerate. Because I feel like I'm going to ASMR mode right now. Uh, because <laughs> on Saturday is the most important day of college football. It is, of course, the Iron Bowl. And if you're listening with me at home, you can really imagine the Iron Bowl. And it's a big bowl. And it's full it sounds of like iron. fingers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's an important day. I'm very excited. Tide's going to take it. I'm predicting it right now. And if it doesn't, I'm going to have a ter- terrible Thanksgiving. Giving weekend. This is truly the part of the college football season when push comes to shove. You know, my Michigan Wolverines push, are tush. playing so well. Well, exactly. <laughs> push, push, push. It's like Michigan, they're playing so well. It's as if they almost knew what the other team was going to do somehow. And the hated <laughs> Ohio State Buckeyes on the horizon for Michigan last week. My alma mater, the Yale Bulldogs, upset Harvard. Harvard sucks. How lovely to win a share of the Ivy League title over the hated Crimson. Let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. Family, togetherness, gratitude, you know, the feel-good stuff. We're looking at opera stories, opera clips, and opera content that brings out those feelings in us. We have a great menu, and we're going to... First, we want you to know that we're going to gamble... That you, our listener, are not going to tell on us and report us to ASCAP or BMI because <laughs> uh, we're, we're going to break the rules. We haven't broken the rules since before Dallas Opera Network days. Uh, so this is taking us back to our, our original format where we said, ah, the heck with it. Let's just play the whole damn aria. That's right. Yeah, it's going to be clip heavy, which is a great way to keep cooking or, you know, waiting for your bags. Matt Cummings kicks it off with the recognition duet from Simone Bocanegra. With the Thanksgiving holiday coming up this week, uh, and if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, 
it already happened. And if you're listening to it afterwards, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Uh, many of us are going to be spending a lot more time with our families than we typically do. And while that can be challenging, uh, this selection is an example to prove that good vibes can sometimes come where you don't expect them. For instance, they can even come out of a decades-long family feud with numerous aliases, mysterious orphans, a number of political elections, mistaken identities, and possibly the most confusing libretto in opera. That is the one and only Verdi piece Simone Bocanegra and the beautiful, beautiful recognition duet between Bocanegra and Emilia in Act 1 in particular. And it's hard to think in terms of opera characters um a more overwhelming sense of gratitude than the big doge himself simon bocanegra so this is an opera that is, has some very passionate defenders uh, but is decidedly less popular than some of the other verdi operas in the canon um it was first composed in 1857 which is you know towards the end of the middle period and getting into the late period uh, that's after the big three. It's after Traviato, Trovatore, Rigoletto. And you can definitely hear in this music that we're farther away from those kinds of bel canto tropes that were still present, if a little bit transformed in some of those earlier works. Uh, like there is def, there isn't really any kind of double aria cantabile cabaletta in Simone Bocanegra. It was a, con- it was a big step forward in terms of his, musical composition and the original production of it was a kind of a mixed success but is generally considered uh, generally considered to be a bit of a debacle um and that's mostly due to the libretto the plot is extremely convoluted it's this very very twisty turny political drama that would make you know don carlo or lucrezia borgia or even at times trovatore blush uh verdi himself considered the opera a fiasco when it premiered um and since opaque libretti are not really a thing that we associate with him, especially not once he, you know, came into his own as a composer, um, that dramatic opaqueness just leads to a lot of difficulty in understanding the character relationships in the original version of it. Um, an interesting kind of music history point about this opera is that he uh, he then revised it in 1881. Uh, and that was part of his audition, basically, that he required of Arrigo Boito um, before he would work with him on the two great late period masterpieces, Otello and Falstaff. Uh, and I think we can say that Boito was successful here. Like Verdi, first of all, he got Verdi to come back to composing opera. And second of all, uh, he, he fine tuned this rather sprawling piece into a work that's really very, very touching. Uh, and it's touching in a way that is that that for Verdi operas um, gets talked about a lot, which is the relationship between fathers and daughters. Uh, fathers and daughter relationships, e- whether or not they're actually related by blood, sometimes they're kind of surrogate father-daughters. Um, they often act as the fulcrum of drama in his pieces and at the emotional heart of those, those Verdi dramas. And Verdi had two children from his first marriage, but both died young, and his long partnership with his second wife, Giuseppina Strapponi, produced no children. So it there's a lot of speculation. I think it would be kind of hard to deny that that sort of um, imagining what it would be like to have these kinds of life-changing conversations with his adult children that he never got to have 
um, really comes through in his music and really comes through in the drama of his operas. Uh, there are other examples of this being really important in Louisa Miller, for example. Louisa sacrifices her love to save her father's life. Um, and doesn't successfully do so, but she tries to. Uh, in Traviata, there's the big confrontation in the middle of Act Two, where Germain begs Violetta to sacrifice her own happiness with Alfredo so that Alfredo's sister, Germain's daughter, can get married and be a respected member of society without having a courtesan in her extended family. Uh, that leads to the tragedy of, well, one of the tragedies of Traviata. Forza del Destino, another great example, where the disapproval of Leonora's father for her, for her lover, um, because he is not European, sets off the tragic accident of the gun, of dropping the gun that, that sets that whole force of destiny sprawling plot in motion. Most famously, probably, would be Rigoletto, where, uh, that court jester's attempts to save his daughter from the iniquity that he's forced to deal with on a daily basis, uh, lead to the ultimate undoing for both of those characters. And I think you could make an argument that Boca Negra rather than Rigoletto is really the apotheosis of this idea of the importance of the relationship between fathers and daughters in, in this duet in particular. Um, Boca Negra is the Doge of Genoa, which is, he was a former pirate and he, and so his having been elected into that role of leadership was really only so that he could be with the, uh, with his, the mother of his child, with his love, Maria Fiesco, uh, but fortunately, she died and their child disappears. Maria's father was only going to forgive Bocanegra if the the child was brought back into their family. But since she had disappeared, uh, that feud goes unresolved. That all happens in the prologue act of the opera. And then in act one, he's been ruling Genoa for 25 years and exiling many of the nobles who wouldn't accept him as ruler. And all this time, he has all this power, but all he really wants is to be reunited with his daughter and with his family and with his wife. But that's definitely not going to happen. And he doesn't think he's going to get reunited with his daughter. Uh, meanwhile, the daughter has been unknowingly to both of them adopted by her actual grandfather, the man who wanted her back um, as his ward. They, you know, as I said, this libretto is very complicated. They are in disguise as a different royal family in Genoa, the Grimaldis. Uh, and they're doing that in order to keep the family riches from going to Bocanegra because, as I said, they hate him. No one knows who Amelia is at the beginning of Act One. She doesn't know who she is. Her grandfather, who is actually her adopt, who she thinks is her adopted father, doesn't know who she is. And her actual father, who is the ruler of the town where she lives, also doesn't know where she, who she is or where his daughter is. Like I said, this opera is not confusing at all. And all of this table setting leads to this absolutely gorgeous duet. Um, which takes us through a lot of plot points in this 15-minute through composed scene. Uh, I'm going to be talking through like some of the beats in that and and playing some clips for you today. Uh, and all of my clips are going to come from this really stunning concert recording from Dmitry Vodostovsky and my bae, Sandra Radvanovsky. Uh, this is from their Verdi Opera Scenes disc, which is recorded with Konstantin Orbelian and the Russian Philharmonic Orchestra. Whole album's great. You should definitely check it out. Uh, you know, with all, with all those names, it's a bit of a mouthful, mouthful, but they sound fantastic. And on a bit of a personal note, like I have a really strong memory of being home for Thanksgiving years ago when I, when I was at my grandmother's house and I woke up and I found that Dima had passed away from brain cancer. So in addition to, you know, helping all of you celebrate your holidays, this is a bit of a tribute to his memory as well. So this duet starts where he is going to be, where he is 
Bocanegra is going to be betrothing Amelia to one of his favorite nobles. And in exchange for this, he offers her a pardon for her brothers so that they can come back from exile. Um, and she reveals that to Bocanegra that, first of all, she can't stand the man that he is going to try to marry her to. Um, and it actually turns out that maybe that's not such a good idea because she's technically not even a Grimaldi. Uh, and as you can hear in the music of this first section, you know, there's a lot of courtliness, a lot of distant respect from these two characters. You know, it, you can almost hear them standing at completely opposite ends of the stage with these very, um, stately dotted rhythms. Uh, and this shift into the minor mode when Grim, when Amelia re- reveals, Amelia reveals that she has a same, a shameful secret that she's not in the Grimaldi family. Uh, and this, this serves to inspire Bocanegra's confidence in her. So let's hear a bit of that first clip. She goes on to say that she is a mysterious orphan and all she has with her is a locket with a picture of her mother. Uh, and this first musical section is this mournful confession. It's a duet with the oboe, which is almost like her mother's ghost, like filling out the trio uh, of this little family. This Arietta moment is really, really beautiful, uh, but you are going to have to seek it out for yourselves. I'm not going to play a clip from it tonight. The mood shifts, however, when she talks about being left behind at the convent and that all she has is this picture of the woman who she knows to be her mother. Uh, which stirs a little memory in Bocanegra and awakens some hope. You can hear that this music starts to become a lot less lifting. His music in particularly, like, has a lot of passion, uh, even though it's an aside. Like, he's not saying this to her, but just that, that hope is starting to swell in his chest that maybe he, maybe, just maybe, he has found his daughter.
So the two of them some compare some notes, and it turns out that Amelia Grimaldi is in fact Maria Bocanegra. And that is capped off by this this first kind of cry of ecstasy at having found each other. And for the very first time, the two vocal lines like move together in parallel motion, as opposed to kind of being in conversation with each other, uh, sometimes very polite conversation, or being in completely parallel worlds. Um, and it's very touching as you can feel them start to come together as a family. And now it's Bocanegra's turn to have a, a little Arietta because his heart is just so full. This is what he's been hoping for the entire time, and he promises to make her happy. And even though, in this final section of the duet, even though their music isn't exactly the same, you can hear compared to some of the earlier sections that the melodic lines are a lot more similar, which kind of shows that mentally... Whereas in the beginning of the duet, they were in completely different worlds. Now they are close. They're on the same page. Uh, and it fits together like a glove, just like the two of them, because they're supposed to be together. Uh, and in the conclusion of this duet, there's this one more cry of extra ecstasy at having found each other. Um, but in the soprano line, in Amelia's line, it's not the fifth of the key that she sings that would be, you know, very triumphant, but it's the fourth of the key, um, which makes it feel a lot more subdued and almost holy as they come together. And it's so beautiful that it summons the angel harps to play them off the stage.
I just love this scene so much. And what I really think it reflects is that while while family can be complicated and it can especially be complicated over the holidays, you know, who among us ha- doesn't sound like we're trying to describe the plot of Simone Bocanegra picking apart layer after layer of family disagreement. It's ultimately worth it. And there's nothing that is nothing like that true moment of being together. And I hope that many of our listeners out there have the same kind of you know, recognition of seeing someone for who they truly are and coming to understand that actually sometimes your perceptions of someone in your family's actions and motivations are not all that correct. Uh, but this just blissful moment of truly finding each other and being in the same place physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and, you know, the excitement of being able to move forward together into the future. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next month. Once again, an essay from the esteemed Matt Cummings. <laughs> Just what is there I any time left in the show? To me. <laughs> yeah, this has been lovely, Oliver Camacho. What is the first selection on your holiday menu? Well, it's sort of inspired by Matt's reunion of father and daughter. I thought I would keep that theme going, but uh, take us back to the 17th century for Monteverdi's *The Return of Ulysses* in Patria in country, um, there is this really beautiful moment that to me is almost more beautiful than the reunion of Ulysses with Penelope. It's uh, when Ulysses reunites with his son Telemaco. And uh, as is sort of the running theme in this opera, uh, the the person who is uh, meeting Ulysses again doesn't believe that it's him because it's been so long. And uh, Minerva has transformed uh, Ulysses into a beggar, or he's wearing the disguise of a beggar. And so uh, Telemaco just does not recognize this man. And uh, the duet is, like with all of the duets in these operas, they're quite long because it's a lot of monody. But we're going to jump into the section where uh, Ulysses starts saying his son's name over and over again. And like, if you see this show... And you get to this moment, and if you don't cry, your mm-hmm. heart is made of stone. It is mm-hmm. so tender and so loving. And the duet that once they start singing, you know, uh, two-part music, um, it really feels like a love duet, but it's obviously not a a sexual love duet or a sensual love duet. It's like really the, the affection between father and son. Uh, this is from the brand new recording of E. Gemelli, uh, which is the band created by the coloratura baroque tenor Emiliano Gonzalez Toro. And Toro sings Ulysses with Zachary Wilder as Telemaco. In allegrezze, in allegrezze, che se perdi il mendico. Il padre acquisti, il padre, il padre acquisti. 
trasformarsi non puote uomo mortale tanto lisse non vale o scherzano o scherzano gli dei oppur mavo tu sei Testimonio e Minerva, quella, quella, quella che te portò. Emiliano Gonzalez Toro as Ulysses and Zachary Wilder as Telemaco from Act Two of Monteverdi's The Return of Ulysses in Patria, uh, the reuniting of father and son. Weston, when I think of family-friendly dynamics, I 
don't necessarily think of Electra, but I could be <laughs> corrected. I mean, there's a whole complex named after it, George. It, it's it's all about family and keeping certain things in the family that probably shouldn't be. Uh, this is very much, uh, I think, the quintessential coming together of a family. You know, you know. Sometimes, you know, we we all have the pro- different family dynamics. You know, no family is perfect, right? You know, sometimes you might have a disagreement with a sibling. Sometimes your stepfather murdered your father, and you have to deal with it. Uh, so Sometimes, you know, you're digging in the dirt to find the uh, the carving knife for the Thanksgiving turkey, and maybe it's more suited for your uh, for that same stepfather, but you can't quite bring yourself to murder it because, you know, family's so important to you, but luckily, your estranged brother shows up, and he can absolutely do it for you. It's a really touching, classic family uh, Thanksgiving scenario that I think we've all been through. Uh, so this is the recognition scene from Electra, if you couldn't tell. Uh, and I, I will say, you know, this is a this is a tongue-in-cheek selection, uh, I would say. But, but it, it actually is... is the most beautiful music in the opera. Exactly. So uh, you have to think about this scene within the context of the greater opera musically, right? Because you uh, the Electra is by far the grimmest and darkest and like least full of light of any uh, Strauss opera, e- even Zalame has a lot more spar- sparkle and shimmer to it. Uh, Electra just starts in this dark place where she feels as if she has to uh, get uh, revenge for her murdered father against her mother and her stepfather, but she can't bring herself to do it. It's the it's it's the same as in like a Hamlet, right? Uh, where where uh, he can't bring himself to act immediately. You have to have the whole plot go through. But what what she is waiting for is a member of of the family that she can understand, that she can relate to. She can't relate to her mother. You know, she's been having crazy dreams and married uh, married her her, her uh, Electra's father's murderer. You know. Um, and she can't relate to her sister, Chrysotemnus, because she's she's just trying to, like, put her head down and, like, push past the trauma. But, like, but she knows that out there somewhere, you know, or, like, she she thinks at this point that he's dead, but she, she, she really only relates to her brother, Orestes. And she thinks if Orestes can come home, uh, he can take care of the revenge business and we can all kind of get back to normal almost uh, and uh, as strange and perverse as that is to say considering the tone of electra you really do get the only real glimpse of that in this scene she's digging through the dirt literally searching for a hatchet with which to kill her parents um and it's desperate Not her parents it's, uh, her stepfather and her, her stepfather yes and you know her <laughs> mother mother is is on the list later um but she's desperately digging through the dirt that she that she she can't find it the the music is scurrying up and down. It's very chromatic. Um, and this man walks up who she doesn't recognize at first. And they talk for a little bit. Uh, he asks who she is. Cause it's been a long time. And, uh, and she answers that I am, uh, I'm Electra. And he's like, Oh wow. What a coincidence. I'm Orestes who you thought was dead earlier in this opera, but I'm fine. And I'm back. And I will, I'll kill I'll, I'll kill our stepfather for you. And the moment of recognition is so famous. She just yells arrest uh, at the top of her lungs and the entire orchestra, you know, you can feel the pulse of it. It's not just a heartbeat. It's the pulse. The and it is it, it is. And that 
once that initial shock wears off, you have some of the most lyric, beautiful, tonal music of the entire opera. And there's almost a moment where you like believe that there's the solution is here, that there might be some genuine catharsis in revenge and murdering one of your family members. Of course, that's not really how it turns out. But hey, it's Thanksgiving. We're not fighting. We're not disagreeing with each other. So let's just hear the beautiful recognition scene. This is, of course, from uh, the famous Schulte recording. The uh, We've got Birgit Nielsen as Elektra um, and Tom Krauss as Orestes.
doesn't that just fill you with Thanksgiving-y thoughts of togetherness <laughs> and family, George? Delicious. <laughs> Kurt Vile's American Opera Street Scene is a show that I'm directing early next drink, year. Drink. The libretto by Elmer Rice with some additional songs by Langston Hughes. And yes, it concerns six or seven families all living in this one apartment building in New York in a the mid 40s. Tenement. But for me, this piece is not just about these blood families, but this community as a family. And mm. the, the point of view that I'm bringing to this particular production is that we are responsible for the successes and failures as well of whatever community it is that we're part of. One of the high points of the show is in Act One. It's the famous ice cream sextet, and I'm always a sucker for an ice cream cone. This is the recording from English National Opera in 1989 with Carl Davis conducting. Chicken hash, you can get potato mash. 
Ice Cream Sextet from Kurt Vile's American opera, Street Scene. Fun fact, there are two two-person couples and two other unrelated people in that number. So you have four different families coming together <laughs> to make a sextet. It's the family you choose, George. Exactly. And you know, it, this would have been a lot more Thanksgiving if it was like, you know, I don't know, sweet potato pie or something. But, you know, ice cream works, too. I've had ice cream at Thanksgiving before. Delicious. Weston, we're going to throw it back to you for something a little more lighthearted. Yes. Well, I I mean, obviously, Electra is my cup of tea, but it's not everyone's cup of tea, especially around the holidays. So I thought I'd dig around and find a less characteristically Weston selection uh, (laughs) for Thanksgiving. And I actually found one that I I, I was thinking about what, what... what group scene makes me feel fuzzy and warm inside and like, wow, these people actually care about each other. And I looked through my entire opera library and I found nothing. So I had to move on to <laughs> Oliver's library and I found some stuff. Um, this is from Puccini's best opera, La Funchula del West. That is an academic <laughs> fact, not only not just an opinion. Uh, this is from right in the very, very beginning of the opera. And, th- and this opera has a lot, I think, that it is unusual in Puccini's oeuvre. Uh, I think Puccini is not known for being a particularly uh, progressive uh, composer on the subject of gender. But damn, this this part really like like takes toxic masculinity and just like blows it away. I, it's genuinely so nice. So here's here's at the very, it's at the very beginning of the opera. We're just meeting everyone in the town. They're all miners working out west. In some productions, they become cowboys because that's the the more easy to spot, um, you know, cultural touchstone for audiences. But they're all miners, and they're all they all have this hard life out west. And uh, one of the uh, the cowboys slash miners, uh, or actually, I think there's probably a traveling minstrel or something. Uh, comes by, uh, his name is uh, Jake Wallace, and he sings this beautiful little tune, this this sentimental tune about, you know, uh, home and hearth and things like that. And it's it's a really nice moment and a surprisingly tender moment when you consider that 
all of these people are miners and or cowboys from the 1800s on stage. They're all listening. They all enjoy it. And at the end of that little song, one of the members of the chorus starts crying. Uh, he's an extremely minor character. He does have a name. He's, he's called Jim Larkins in the, the libretto. Um, and he just, he just starts sobbing, like absolutely sobbing. And everyone turns around and says, Jim, what's, what's going on? Um, and, and he says, uh, you know, I, I just, I just, it's so tough out here to be a minor slash cowboy. Uh, I'm away <laughs> from my family, away from, away from everything back East. Uh, it's a, it's a hard life. And, you know, this is really an opera that's all about these big masculine characters, right? These cowboys slash miners that are just, you know, going around, you know, shooting people with guns, you know, they have the typical spaghetti Western lifestyle, right? But so you would almost expect him to make fun of him for being soft or for being weak, but instead they all go around and they pass around a hat and start loading up with money to pay for his ticket back home. Uh, And it's such a, a sweet, beautiful moment. And like in that, in the last moment before the last thing that he, that uh, Jim Larkin says on stage is grazie, grazie. Thank you. Thank you. He's tearful. He has a lump in his throat. He gets on the train and goes home. Uh, and I just think it's such a beautiful, touching moment. Uh, and you talk about found family, George, like, mm. like, you know, it's like this family, like giving up someone they, who they clearly care about and letting him go back home. And then they have this beautiful, short little humming chorus. And uh, it's really, really beautiful and really touching and really strikingly untoxic masculinity. And I think it's just a, such a lovely moment um, in the opera that you is really kind of unexpected and sets the tone for why it is objectively the best Puccini opera. Um and uh, and then, of course, right after that, they um, they beat up a guy because he was cheating at cards. But we don't have to hear that part. It's Thanksgiving. There's no fighting at Thanksgiving. Let's hear a recording. This is the recording I grew up with as a kid. This is uh, conducted by Franco Capuana with the orchestra and chorus of the Academia di Santa Cecilia. Uh, Jake Wallace, who is the um, the uh, sort of uh, singer at the beginning, is is played by Giorgio Tozzi, and then Jim Larkins is played by Giuseppe Moresi.
Doesn't it just warm your heart, George? It does. My heart is like just brimming over now. It is Weston. It is actually very sweet. And there is a lot of forgiveness in this opera. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like it is a very hard show and it's violent. And uh, mm. there's almost a murder on stage, for example. But <laughs> um, yeah, the just the whole show is about like how much these guys have been uh, – formed really trained by this woman she's like the only woman around yeah <laughs> and she's like a mother and a sister and like a, you know they all pine after her and they'll do anything she says and like i think she has taught them some kind of you know be kind to each other you know yeah it's really beautiful i i really genuinely love that moment in the show albert herring is my favorite opera perhaps of all time or like top three I'm i shocked. think that is it's, not gilbert it's and sullivan it's so good it's it's not gns was that <laughs> is that opera act two scene one of albert herring is of course the the may day feast it is a props designer's nightmare because <laughs> yes. all of that food gets consumed and it's an actor's dream because everybody the family the community family although there are some of course actual relations Albert Herring and his mother are both there, and there's some siblings of another family that are kind of causing havoc. <laughs> but you have this real sense of community across age and across class. The 
highlight, I think, of that sequence, of course, is when Albert drinks this glass of rum, excuse me, this glass of lemonade that has been spiked by rum by his pals, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) And they're just about to get down to eating all the great food of cakes and sausage rolls and trifle and eh, treacle treacle tarts yeah treacle tarts yes exactly (laughs) turkey tarts uh this is the sequence when um albert has made a teeny weeny little speech and goes and drinks his glass of lemonade to the most amazing music which completely rips off intentionally so uh tristan and isolde this is the lemonade sequence on the naxos classics label the northern symphonia conducted by Stuart bedford Oh my goodness, a cast of thousands on that recording, including the likes of Felicity Palmer and mm. Gerald Finley, with too many others to mention, again, conducted by the genius Stuart Bedford. Lest I forget, of course, Albert Herring on that recording, sung by Christopher Gillett. That's a good English name. <laughs> Perfect for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and of course, if, if you if you are also a fan of Albert Herring, you can go back to the Opera Box Score archives and hear a whole episode about that show. I forget. Was that a Spring Training for Your Ears episode? I think it did? was. Yeah, yeah, man. It's a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Have to ask our archivist to uh, <laughs> bring that one up for us. <laughs> Oliver, back to you for our feel-good 
Well, we're getting holiday get together uh, of this special episode of Opera Box Score uh, that's about gratitude. Uh, and there are so many uh, wonderful rondos and uh, cabaletas in bel canto operas that are about that feeling of gratitude and joy, uh, such as Non Piumesta in La Cenerentola or Sovra il Sen from uh, La Sonambula. But I thought that uh, since we're on the theme of family, we would hear the rondo finale of La Donna del Lago, mm. uh, in which uh, mistaken identities are revealed and uh, arch rivals become, well, amicable um, and <laughs> nobody dies. Um, well, not, at least on stage, they don't die. And uh, yeah, the main character, the Lady of the Lake, Elena, is able to uh, have her boyfriend, her intended boyfriend, uh, and uh, her father uh, at her side. And peace reigns at the end of this show. And it is one of, I think, Rossini's best versions of this idea of the rondo, where we get a theme and a bunch of uh, variations on the theme. Um, and we will hear one of my favorite performances of this live from La Scala in 1992, June Anderson, conducted by Ricardo Mutti. Thank you. 
some vintage june anderson right there i love the way her voice sounds like champagne like she had just such a sparkly top and the notes were so in tune it's just thrilling to hear that type of singing uh, once again a live recording from 1992 from la scala june anderson singing elena and the conductor ricardo muti i love the variety of stuff we've brought to the table we really have a full like thanksgiving feast here you know it's so and- true I don't know what the Electra was in that. Like maybe the cranberry sauce went a little sour. <laughs> yeah, um, that was the dish that like everyone might try, but probably wouldn't take seconds. Yeah, that reminds yeah. me of the one year I put uh, wasabi into my pumpkin pie. It didn't turn out. Dude, very well. what do you, uh, was that intentional? Yes, it was. I mean, tell us are about you your bake. <laughs> I like to accost all my senses, whether I'm listening to opera or baking. Everybody was crying. Was like, yes, Weston, the wasabi is coming through. <laughs> Ashley's going to, I don't know, bring some dessert to the table, I guess, as only Ashley can with her take on Johnny Skiki. Hey there, OBS fam. Sorry I'm not in studio with you folks tonight. Work travels have now turned into family travels because it's just that time of year. And of course, in my family, nothing is simple. And despite my best laid plans, some family members bring with them a touch of calamity. Not unlike the Donatis and Johnny Skiki. <laughs> yes, listen, what I want to do is review some of the lessons that were taught to me, or at the very least were reminded of and reinforced in Puccini's only comic opera, that final presto in the three-movement Tritico Symphony. So let's talk about some of the things that this piece reminds me of and how it relates to my own family. I give you these three concepts. In the words of Casey Musgraves, family is family, in church or in prison. In the words of me, money will make even the sanest a little bit crazy. And finally, everybody, and I mean everybody, comes out of the woodwork and gets weird at family funerals. 
you know, family bonds are really something. I'm not kidding. Families, family and church are in prison. You know, there's something about family that allows you to go further, to go out of your comfort zone, maybe agree to things that you might not want to, maybe even move your moral compass around a little bit, but you do it because you're with family and they'll protect you and they've got your back and what could possibly go wrong. You know, my cousin in 1996, when we were wee babe teenagers, convinced me to troll the streets of New Orleans during Lollapalooza because she was determined to find Zach De La Rocha, the lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, who was performing at that festival. Would I have normally gone out on my own and done that? Absolutely not. Did I go with her? Yes, because she's family and I needed to have her back. Not unlike the three lovely ladies in the trio, Spogliati Bambolino, when Nella, Cheska, and Zita are dressing Skiki for what's going to be the greatest role and payday of his life. Let's hear a little bit of that right now. This is the 2021 production of Canadian Opera Company of Johnny Skiki, with the trio being sung by Megan Latham, Midori Marsh, and Jamie Groot. think it's true that money will make even the sanest people a little crazy and everybody comes out of the woodwork at family funerals and gets weird. Uh, When my last grandparent died in 2017, now this was not a woman, my grandmother was not a woman of means, but she had a couple of heirlooms and artifacts that some people that I am allegedly related to but had not seen since my age was in the single digits really wanted. And so in her final days and in her passing, 
all of these people magically came around as if they were really close to me and good, good, good close friends, all because they were looking for, I don't know, a set of crystal candlesticks, which my mother and I had absolutely hid under the bed because these strangers were not about to get those things. No, ma'am. Uh, and some of those people did turn a little bit bitter and a little bit nasty uh, when they weren't acknowledged for what they thought was rightfully theirs. Not unlike the family of the Donatis, once Johnny Skeeky has given himself as somewhat living Buozo, uh, the lion's share of the Donato family fortune. Let's hear a little bit of that because it is so great. We've had that moment of like low string silence and then Zeta starts with the ladro and the whole family loses it right before new bourgeoisie Skiki says, no, no, you can't cop to our plan because if you do, these are the punishments for lying. This is my house. You can all leave. It's actually really hilarious. So this uh, Donati family freakout, as we will call it, is from the 2008 production of Skiki at La Scala with Ricardo Shai conducting. But Ashley, we're talking about Johnny Skiki. What about the piece, the aria, arguably the most recognizable piece in the opera repertoire? Yes, friends, I get it. And we're going to get there. But I had to get through the clunky parts of family because it makes the sweeter parts that much sweeter. And so we're going to remind ourselves of yet another family concept learned in Skiki, which is even the most sly, most cunning heart will soften for those it truly loves, like Skiki does for his own daughter, Loretta, when she says she's in love. And she communicates this through what is probably the most recognizable piece in operatic literature, O Mio Babino Caro. It is a really, honestly, you know what, as goofy as it is, it's a really, really beautiful piece. And man, when it is sung right, it is sung right. Now, as far as I'm concerned in my own family stories, my dad to my knowledge, never had to pull a fast one on a rich family so that my boyfriend and I could stay together. I do think he would have, though. If I asked him, I really think he would have. At any rate, I hope that your holiday is filled with peace and quiet. And if you choose to spend time with them, wonderful moments with your family, chosen, biological, or otherwise. And with that, I leave you with one of my favorite versions of this beautiful aria, Morella Freni with Io Savini and the Munich Radio Orchestra. 
Uh, Johnny's Geeky, one of my absolute favorites. I think I've done that show at least twice. Almost three, maybe even three times possibly, but drink and I will because it's Thanksgiving. How nice to have the whole family together, at least our voices on the same episode, even if we're not necessarily in the same studio on this Thanksgiving week. Let's wrap the show up. Good call. Bad call on Opera Box Score. Well... There can still be good calls and bad calls, even though it's Thanksgiving. And we're going to start with Oliver Camacho. I went to the HD of uh, X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X. Congratulations to friend of the show, Will Liverman, and friend of the show, um, Rayanne Bryce Davis. Uh, both amazing. Leah Hawkins, amazing. I forget his name, but the tenor who sang Elijah. Uh, so, so good. I couldn't believe it. Uh, but... The person who stole the show was Angela Bassett <laughs> as the HD. I'm not kidding you. She you must needs, be. Are you really not kidding? She needs to host every one of those. She is so extra. And she just like so really, good. it's like she was on stage. Like she really like, I was like, I'm not letting you people with uh, different types of talent compete with me. I shine just as brightly as she is. So it wow. was so, so much gesture, so much like it was so dynamic the way she used her voice. Like it was a lot and uh, it was very entertaining. And I think that everybody was just like awestruck at how she was like knocking out of the park. And like she was interviewing like Eileen Perez and people mm. who were in the production. And just nobody knew how to, what, how to talk to her because she just was like so much. And I loved every second of it. So bring Angela back and bring her for the Shirley Verrett biopic. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. Weston Williams. Uh, I mean, I, I will say when it comes to classical music outside of the opera world, I don't see enough of it as I should because all of my meager disposable income ends up going toward the various opera companies in Chicago. But I did make it for the first time in quite a while to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. They did... Mm. Um, a couple of highlights from the program were the Rite of Spring Ballet, which I, you know, I love a good riot. I was born, and this is true, on the same day that the Rite of Spring premiered, so it's in my blood. Gosh, um, you're old. The same date, yeah, not the same, yeah, not the this same is date. The exact same date. I am actually <laughs> 100 and, I don't know, almost as old as Oliver. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, and I just remembered, like, you know, it's so nice to be able to sit down uh, with 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 some with you know close friends and enjoy you know uh, the the music that we have here in Chicago in abundance and it's something I'm I'm really grateful for it's not something I always had growing up in Alabama but uh, there is really something special about this city there's something really special about this group of people that I'm with right now and there's something really special about you our listener for listening to us on this Thanksgiving and that's that's my good call. Ash's good call is that the NFL matchup is happening tonight. The Chiefs against the Eagles, the Super Bowl rematch. Interested to see who wins that one. For my bad call, it's that our fantasy football team goes from bad to worse. While <laughs> Tobias did manage to win the last game that we played. And we are at four, six, four and six with lots of parity in our division. Most other teams at five and five. It seems highly unlikely that we're going to make it to the playoffs. We did so well last year, and this season just, guys, was not meant to be. It's disappointing. Not thank thankful for that. I am not thankful for that. I'm very thankful for Philadelphia Opera hosting fantasy football every year. 
That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Get your voice heard and find links to stuff we've talked about at our website, operaboxscore.com. And that's also where you can put your money where our mouths are. Give back to the OBS on the Support the Team page. Your announcer is Norm Waddell. Your creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. And your audio editor is Weston Williams. For co-hosts Matt Cummings and Ashley Hardgrave, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you wait for your uncle's will to be read. <laughs> We're back with an all-new show next week with a field report on the Mets Florencia and El Amazonas. Plus, you get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more SIDS special spiked punch. Ooh. Join us.